Thank you, Pastor Jeremy. Don't you guys love this couple? Let's give them a hand. Jeremy and Heather doing a fantastic job with our Next Gen Ministries. We're just excited what's happening there. Great crew yesterday, and uh, I think they were busy the whole time from 11 to 2. Thank you for bringing your cars out. And uh, did a great job on both of mine, brought them out and gave good good offering. They needed it for sure. I had driven to Jonesboro Thursday night and came back through the floodway there at Mark Tree and got about 10,000 bugs all over it. Don said, why don't you clean that thing up? I said, no, the youth are going to wash it Saturday. <laughs> Brad Nelson said, why didn't you wash this thing before you showed up here today, Pastor? <laughs> We're glad to have you. Stand with me one more time, please. We have two passages of scripture. How many of you love the word of the Lord? Say Amen. amen. Let's read this together. You should have it memorized probably by now. If you've been with me from the beginning, we're in Romans 12 too. Here we go. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Another translation says that you may prove. This says by testing you discern, okay? So we are looking for the will of God. Not going to do a lot of review this morning, just safe to say that a pilot lands the plane safely by pointing the nose in a runway that has guide lights on both sides. We are looking to make decisions based on the will of God that automatically has his favor and his blessing on it. That's why we're here looking to learn from this series called Seven Guiding Lights. Another passage in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, four verses. Let's get this together. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Stop right there. Now that's an idea, isn't it? If you have a complaint... You know, just, just make a decision to walk in some forgiveness. Sometimes we need to air it and talk about it, confront somebody in love. Everybody say, speaking the truth in love. But it's just good to go ahead and from the outset, just make a choice to forgive. Say, I choose to forgive. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, let's read on. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is the key verse right here. This is the one I want you to zero in on. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Bow your hearts together with me, please, for a prayer. Gracious God, we just pause in this moment and we quiet our souls. Thank you for your gift of peace to us. Thank you, as the old song says, I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river. Lord, be that peace this morning. Move in this service and speak to hearts. Lord, there are people sitting under the sound of my voice today that are in a crisis. They're in a place, Lord, uh, where a critical decision has to be made. Grant the peace of God, Lord, to guard and guide and to govern them today. I just acknowledge before you and before this people that I can't do anything apart from you, Holy Spirit. You're the only teacher. Just open our minds to hear and see and understand. Let my voice, Lord, literally carry the voice of the bridegroom, Jesus himself. Let these words, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I, I'll be careful to give you all the praise 
because it's your glory and your power and your kingdom forever. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. you may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. I'd just like to say from the outset that there is no peace of God until you have peace with God. There is no peace of God until you have peace with God. And we want to differentiate between those two this morning. The Bible tells us in the New Testament book of Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Romans chapter 5. A couple of slides back, guys. Come on. Help me here. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. Everybody say peace with God. Now, I want you to see that word justified. Everybody say justified. Um, I remember learning years ago that the clearest, probably very common way to help somebody understand justification is in this word justified. And it literally means just as if I'd never sinned. So you've been acquitted. You stand before the bar of heaven and God the Father pronounces judgment and he declares legally that you've been justified. Justification comes by Christ. It comes by faith. We release the gift that God himself has given us and we put our trust in Jesus Christ alone. And justified is the Greek word dikaiosune. Now, it's not important that you remember that, but I just want you to know that it's the exact same word for righteousness. Everybody say righteous. So we could easily say, therefore, since we have been made righteous by faith, to be justified is to be made righteous. It is to experience a uni united relationship with God. Now, you may ask the question, well, why is it that we need to experience that? Because your life and mine, B.C., is literally described in the Bible as being enemies of God. The scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, just listen, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, this is what we were before Christ came into our hearts. Colossians 1, verse 21, they're not on the board, just listen. It says, and you who once were alienated, everybody say aliens. Okay, so this concept that we think of in America as aliens, people that are aliens are foreigners, and there is a distance. There is not this kind of acceptance. When we are alienated from God, it's this position of being at an enemy with him. Scripture says in Romans 8 that the carnal mind is at enmity. Almost the same word as enemy, and it means the same thing, but it's spelled E-N-M-I-T-Y, enmity. To be carnally minded is death. My carnal mind, apart from Christ, and my own thinking is everything that is contrary to the love of God and the nature and the Christ, the life of God that is in Christ. So the scripture says that when I will take on the spiritual mind, I let the mind of Christ be in me to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Everybody say peace. So we see this idea of peace with God. Now, until I have peace with God, it literally means it's the idea of being on God's most wanted list. You're an arch enemy 
to God. Your mugshot is in the post office of heaven with the words most wanted stamped over it. Okay? Now, since the cross, the Bible says that because of the work of Jesus in Ephesians chapter 2, it says he is himself our peace. Say, say with me, he is our peace. It goes on to say he's broken down every wall, but I want you to get this phrase, he is our peace. Listen, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 15. Remember that you were at that time, what is that time? That's when I was separated from Christ. I was an alien, okay? I was an enemy of God. At that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, Having no hope. Well, this thing is just in a downward spiral. Somebody has pulled the plug in the bathtub and it's, the life is just getting sucked out of it. It's getting worse and worse. It's, I'm, I'm separated, I'm alienated, I'm a stranger, I'm having no hope, I'm without God in the world, but verse 13 is the key. It's so much the wonderful answer. Everybody say, but now. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I mean, be thankful for the but now. That's good news. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. So say this with me. He is my peace. He made peace. One more time. He is my peace. Because he made peace. So I want you to get this this morning. The real understanding of salvation is that it brings peace between me and God. It's the upward bar of the cross. Jesus Christ hung suspended between heaven and earth. And literally in his flesh, God poured out upon him all of the wrath that was due us because we had a list of transgressions that the law accused us of. And the Bible says he abolished every one of those things, making peace for us. We were reconciled in Christ. To be reconciled means that we bring together in agreement our accounts when you have a checking account, you do a bank reconciliation. You make sure that what's in your checkbook agrees with what the bank says. And you have to make the two one. You bring whatever separation is between the two. You reconcile them and bring them together so that they're united, so that there is peace between the two. So they're saying the same thing. But salvation is not just reconciliation between me and God. I was alienated from him, a stranger, having no hope, without God, an enemy of God. But it also brings peace between me and others. It's the outstretch, outreach bar of the cross. It brings peace in relationships. The Bible says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Greek word weos, which literally means mature. So God's desire is, in maturing you, is to bring you to the place where you can understand this GPS tracking system that's on the inside of you. Not just a global positioning system, but a God positioning system. Where is the Lord in this? So many times we live at such a breakneck pace in our society and we're involved in all kinds of busyness. 
and we leave one thing and we run to another. And too many times families overcommit their children out of a desire to keep them active. And two parents with two or three children are literally running a taxi service between t-ball games and piano lessons and violin lessons and dance class and gymnastics and all this other stuff. I'm not trying to put anybody down. I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning. I've been there, done that, wore out the tires to approve it. <laughs> done it. One of my kids involved, kept them involved, thankful for all that. I remember a few years ago when Abby was involved in violin lessons at University of Memphis in the Suzuki School, and sometimes I would have her, sometimes Dawn would have Drew, and it would be the opposite at other times, and Dawn would be going around the South Loop, and I'd be going around the North Loop, and we'd be on the phone talking to each other, hey, honey, how was your day? What's going on? And we'd not even seen each other yet, because one's taking one kid one place, one's taking another one someone else, and it's just this breakneck, frenetic pace where there's all this busyness. And how many of you know when you get that busy, you can't find a place of quietness to be able to hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit because God's not going to scream at you, okay? He's a gentleman and he has manners. And sometimes when he go, we go for so long that we don't listen, usually the circumstances of life are arranged in such a way to get our attention where we get refocused and we go, oh, Father, forgive me, I've been just living life totally apart from a sense of your purpose, and I've got to recalibrate. I've, I've got to get my clock set again because it's off. Uh, and, and many times that's what Sunday morning is for. It's to kind of get a retune with the word and sort of hear the sound of heaven. It's kind of like that, that whole idea that an orchestra does when the concert master basically sounds... Uh, B flat or A440, whichever one they're tuning to, and they, 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 you know, the orchestra starts tuning up. And if you've ever been to a symphony for, before, before they play, it's the most awful sound you've ever heard in your life because they're all tuning. But when everybody gets tuned, it's heavenly. It, it makes an amazing sound. And so this morning, what we're attempting to do in this series in the peace of God is to get you tuned with the heavenly pitchfork with Jesus Christ himself. He sends the signal. He has the sound. He's the standard by which we tune ourselves to. We're either sharp or flat of him. And so he's setting the, he's setting the tone and we're, we're getting ourselves in agreement and we're lining up with him, learning how to be led by the spirit of God and to walk in the peace of God. And this concept that I'm bringing to you today is this whole idea that until I have peace with him, I cannot know the peace of him. That's part of the guidance system, okay? Uh, next point, here we go. There is a peace that governs. There is a peace that governs. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, the Bible says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Everybody say rule. rule. So what's ruling in your heart? Peace of God, peace of Christ, okay? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and, he says, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Now, the Greek word for rule here literally means umpire. It means someone who is basically calling the shots on the field. We, we think about the game of baseball, the American pastime, especially where we refer to our referees as umpires. And he makes, he or she makes rulings. They rule when the person in the batter's box makes a swing and doesn't make contact with the ball, and that's called a what? So you hear the ump go strike, or if it's out of the batter's box in his range, uh, then he'll call it a ball, 
Okay, and so you've, you've watched enough American baseball, you know what's going on. Well, somebody came, comes rounding third base, and the batter's just bunted the ball to first. We've got an umpire at first base, we've got an umpire at third base, we've got an umpire at home, and they're trying to make a play and make sure that when this runner who's running for his life to leave third base and make it into home plate, when the ball gets thrown back to the, to the catcher and he catches the ball, the ump is standing there looking to see if that runner is going to slide in and get his fingers on home plate before the catcher catches the ball and touches him. And then based on what he sees, he's going to say safe or he's going to say out. And then usually some folks run on the field and use a couple of words they shouldn't. And a coach gets kicked out of the game. And sometimes that happens in T-ball. I remember when we played with Abby and we'd play with Drew seven years earlier and I'm out there with all these brand new parents and they're, you know, they got their little five-year-olds that they're just sure are Mark McGuire's in the making. And Abby's just a little girl playing t-ball, having a good time. And I looked at her and I said, did we behave like this seven years ago? She said, I didn't, you did. <laughs> you know, life's fun. It's great to have a great time and just, you know, cheer your kids on. And, but, you know, sometimes I cannot imagine what it's like on that t-ball field being an umpire and your best friend's kid is just running and you know they're out and you got to tell the truth and you got to go, look, dude, I'm sorry. I love your baby, but she's out. <laughs> now, on the ball field, the umpire makes the rule. He calls the play after the play has been run. But in the spirit, with this mechanism in us, with this receiver in the spirit, the Bible says there is, an, there is a spirit in man and the inspiration of the Almighty gives understanding. So God breathes into you when you're born again and he makes alive all the dead spiritual parts and he causes the transmitter to get and the receiver to get turned on and tuned in and you're getting signals from heaven. Now, the peace of God is this overwhelming sense of God's presence. Matter of fact, put up peace for me if you would please. The word peace is the Greek word Irene. If you have any friends that are named Irene, her name literally comes from this Greek word directly. Take the first E off, and women that are named Irene literally mean peace or peaceful. Okay? The word means prosperity. Wow. So there's something else besides the bottom line in my checking account when God starts talking about prospering me. It means peace in my heart, peace in my home, Peace in my marriage. Now, we're not excluding the material blessings of God. Thankful for those that he delights in the prosperity of his servant. Psalm 35, 27. My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 19. But too many times in America, our idea of prosperity is only associated with the greenbacks. And we don't realize that real biblical prosperity is peace in our relationships. It's a solid marriage. It's kids that love you, that actually can stand sitting down to a dinner with you and enjoy being around you and with children that are raised to love God. And you've got good friends that have been there and got your back and have actually lasted and didn't stab you in the back. And you know what? You're a prosperous man or woman of God if you have those things I just said. Whether or not you've got a million in the bank... You can be extremely rich with all kinds of spiritual blessings. You know what? You can have all the natural stuff and not have any peace whatsoever. And I'll just be honest with you. I'll take the peace any day. 
And I believe out of that place of peace, God can take care of all the other need that I have. It means one, it means peace, it means quietness, rest. And the verb form literally means to set at one. So when he became our peace, when he made peace, Jesus set us as one. The two, we were enemies of God and he brought us together in the cross, suspended between heaven and earth. He was the, the, the gap man. He was the bridge between the chasm between God and man. Now, the distinction between the two between the baseball field and the spirit is, is that if you'll learn to listen and sense when you either have peace or don't have it, that can be an indicator before you step out from home plate and run to first base in a critical decision you're about to make in your life to pick up your family and transfer out to Los Angeles or you're going to go to Dallas because you've got $10,000 more a year, a new salary and a promotion. And you know, sometimes just because... The dollar signs line up do not necessarily mean that it's the best thing for you because you're going to pick up your family. You're going to uproot. You're going to, they're settled. They've been in, they're just about to graduate school. All those factors need to come into play. And it just shouldn't alone be the money. People sometimes, as a matter of fact, I had a friend of mine here uh, as a young uh, Young psalmist, minstrel, songwriter, preacher, lives between here and Blyville, and he just recently said, you know what, I got a new job in Little Rock, and we were looking at homes in Cabot, and the, the, we went over, and the kids liked the schools and everything, but I'm telling you, Pastor, he said, I just could not get peace about it. And my granny used to say, well, you know what, I've prayed, and I have peace about it. Everything's going to be all right. And it may be that it looks like all hell's breaking loose. Matter of fact, you can remember a story one time when Jesus had sent the disciples across the Lake of Galilee. They got into the boat, and just because of the geographic formation of that great big lake, the Sea of Galilee is referred to, but it's really a great big lake, between those mountain regions there and the way the wind blows through, you can have gale force winds that just come up and a thunderstorm be on part of the lake and the other part a sun be shining. And especially at night when you're in a little boat that doesn't have a motor 2,000 years ago and you're trying to go across a pretty big expanse of water and you're in the boat toiling and you're rowing and the guy who told you that you trust, he's got this whole new Jesus Christ evangelistic association and you're one of his partners and he said, go to the other side and you're out here toiling and the, the boat is rocking and the waves are crashing and the wind is howling. And you, you go down there and you look and you see Jesus asleep in the boat. And they have to shake him and wake him up because they said, Master, don't you care that we perish? He's just, he's just living in peace. Just got peace. And he stands up and what does he do? He speaks and he says, peace, be still. And he rebuked the winds and the waves. And they were amazed. And Peter bowed down. He said, what am I in the presence? And I'm a sinful man to be in the presence of one with such power in the presence of God. And I think sometimes that we get in situations where the wind and the waves are blowing, just blustering all around us. And I think about another circumstance in the Gospel of Luke when Jesus is walking on the water. They're scared. Some say it's a ghost. Peter says, no, I think it's the Lord. Lord, if that's you, bid me come to you. And Jesus said, it's I, Peter, come on. Peter gets out of the boat starts walking on the water, but then he sees the wind and the waves. You've heard me say this. Do you think that had it been a waveless, 
crystal smooth as glass Sea of Galilee with no wind blowing that it would have been any easier for Peter to walk on that water? The wind and the waves many times are just distractions to get your eyes off of Jesus. Because if you keep your focus on him, as long as I keep looking at him, I with eyes of faith see him and something is holding me up that defies the natural law of gravity. But when I get my eyes off of him and I start looking at all the problems and I let doubt and unbelief and fear and all of this stuff begin to have a place entertaining in my thoughts and I'm meditating and I'm considering and and I'm laying awake in bed at night and I'm just worrying and I'm just literally... All of these things that we do so many times where we become anxious and we lose our peace, it doesn't, those winds and waves are just there from the enemy to try to distract you to get your eyes off of Jesus. Because a clear day is not going to be any easier to walk on water. If you, you, think, if you think that's not true, just go home, run your bathtub full and see if you can walk on it. It's pretty obvious. He was looking at something that was more powerful than And the circumstances around him shouldn't have had really any bearing whatsoever. Now, there's a peace that governs. This peace that's in me will literally, behind me, a voice, the Holy Spirit, the umpire, the peace of God, in my heart, down here in my spirit, will literally rule. It'll make a ruling before I run the play, before I leave home plate and pick up and make the move and take the promotion. Or we make this decision and I get on my knee and I buy a ring and I... Pop the question, honey, will you marry me? You know what? If you don't have peace about it, then you might should hold off. Uh, Years and years and years ago, 20, 30 years ago, it was not uncommon for people right here in West Memphis with all the local car dealers. This is when we had every one of them represented. We had uh, Ellis Oles and we had Eden Pontiac and we had... um, uh, Ryan Chevrolet and, and all of these, I mean, every different branch uh, and the Plymouth Dodge uh, dealership was down here on Missouri Street. Every different kind of car dealer was right here in town. And I remember as a, as a young man, this, gosh, I'm 51, so it's probably 40 years ago. I remember when mom and dad were looking at a, at a new car and the, the salesman actually said, well, Mr. Smith, why don't you just take it home tonight? And And just drive it and check it out and sleep on it. Can you imagine a car dealer today looking at you and going, just take it on home and just come back and let us know tomorrow what you want to do? (laughs) Not going to happen. It was a different day. They knew dad could get the loan. He had the cash, whatever. And, of course, it was pretty smart in that day. It's the way car salesmen were pretty smart. They basically knew if they could get Grady to drive the car off the lot and take it home, that Mary would probably say, Grady, we need this. (laughs) And so many times that was not all uncommon. They would say, you know, just let us know tomorrow what you want to do. And a lot of times before major decisions, I would hear mom and dad both say, well, we need to sleep on it. Why do you think they would say we need to sleep on it? Because too many times we make decisions on impulse. The scripture says, blessed is he who does not make haste. Because if there is haste involved, many times it is because we're doing something under pressure or we're doing it under duress. As a matter of fact, the government has actually written into law these days that you have, I think, like a 72-hour period where you, can, you have this buyer's remorse and you can back out and you can go, wait a minute, this, this, this is not a good decision. I need to get out of this. I think that's the reason that it's better for us to, on the front end, 
slow down, be quiet, calm down, look at everything around us, check out the guiding light, see what's shining. What does the word of God say? What is my inner conviction? Get me some godly counsel. Do I have a prophetic confirmation of this thing at all? Is there peace? Can I lay down and sleep at night and I wake up in the morning and I have an overwhelming sense of the peace of God on me? I can't know the peace of God until I have been acquainted with peace with God. To know that he's not my enemy. I'm not his enemy. Now, secondly, there is a peace that guides. Everybody say, a peace that guides. Romans chapter 14. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. This whole chapter that Paul is writing is about the disagreement of some people in the church over non-essentials, okay? Some folks are saying you shouldn't eat that meat sacrificed to idols. Some are taking it so far saying you should never eat meat. You should be a vegetarian. Others are arguing over what you drink. Should you drink wine? Should you not drink anything alcoholic at all? And Paul basically says, look, you're missing the whole point. The kingdom of God is not about if you do or you don't. Whatever you do, you better do it in faith because if it's not done in faith, it's sin. If you eat meat, eat it in faith. If you can't eat it in faith, leave it alone. If you drink alcohol, if you drink wine, drink it in faith. But if you can't drink it in faith, don't. And I know I've probably just set some some of my Pentecostal friends on edge, some of my Baptist friends, because you've heard all your life that that, that, that alcohol is sinful. And I just want to tell you right now, that's not the biblical position. The scripture clearly says that the sin is in the drunkenness. It's too much. And matter of fact, this, you can get too much of anything and it becomes sin. I, I just want to say something to you right now. I don't, it doesn't matter to me what your position is because we've got as many people in, the, are in this room. There are, there are several that in either one of these camps that are completely teetotalers. There are others who have drink a beer, have a glass of wine, and that's between you and God. Whatever you do, you do it in faith. You make sure that your example is one that is not going to cause anybody to stumble, and you make sure that you know when to cut it off so you don't, you don't get drunk and you don't get under a wheel, certainly, and drive. Okay, not going to do a public service announcement here, but use some common sense. Okay? Uh, I, I don't want to offend anybody here, and so many of you have had this thing bashed in your head so many times by legalistic preachers who get up and spend more time worried about stuff that really people aren't even struggling with. So, well, if you know what? If God wanted you to smoke, he'd have put a smoke stack up on your head. <laughs> and it's amazing to me some of the stuff that people beat other people over the head with. And every time I find in scripture, you go to the book of Proverbs and every time you find drunkenness or a drunk mentioned, it is sitting right there by the parallel sin called gluttony. And how many messages have you ever heard preached against the sin of gluttony? Oh, no, 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 wait a minute. But we have to eat. We don't have to drink alcohol. Yeah, but you don't have to go back for the fourth helping. <laughs> and you know what? Let's, let me just tell the truth here. I, I, just, I don't want to offend anybody, but this is just so. We, in the South, there are more Baptists than there are people. And man, we've just had this thing hit us. We've, we've been beat up with this. And, and, and the whole thing against the alcohol and all this kind of stuff. And you, let me just tell you something. When it's, anything is taken out of moderation, it becomes a sin. And too many times we've got guys standing in the pulpit with 50-inch waists. And mine's not anywhere near that. 
I'm a little stretched these days. But what am I telling you? You can beat up on one thing and then never touch something else. And the rest of your life is just screaming. You know what? I have this issue with, with, with steak and potatoes. You know what? You can make anything and take it. And what, I, what my pull point is, let me just pull this thing back in here before I get too far off on this tangent. Uh, I chase this rabbit, kill it, skin it, roast it. We eat it together. It tastes like chicken. So anyway, the rabbit's dead. Paul is saying none of this stuff is what the kingdom is about. If you eat meat or don't, whatever you do, do it in faith. It's not going to get you in. Doing it's not going to kick you out. If you drink or you don't drink, he's saying the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I've already shown you that righteousness is the same word as justified. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So righteousness is peace with God. I've been put in right standing with God. Everybody say peace with God. So now based on this righteousness, which is what? Peace with God. I have peace, the peace of God, and joy in the Holy Spirit. When my relationship with God is right, I'm no longer an enemy. I'm not alienated. I'm, I, I'm not strangers. I'm not in the place of having no hope without God in the world, but I've been made as one. He's made peace for me. I have peace with him. Out of that new relationship, I can begin to experience his own peace, the peace of God, righteousness, peace. And then out of peace flows this whole thing that the world's looking for, joy in the Holy Ghost, joy in the Holy Spirit. Happiness depends upon happening. Joy is all about Jesus. It's even when things aren't going right, I still have joy. I still have joy. After all I've been through, I still have joy. Sing it with me now. I still have joy. I still have joy. After all I've been through, Lord knows what I've been through. Come on, help me one more time. After all I've been through, I still have joy. You know what? Too many times you're in places and people say, well, I got the joy of the Lord. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And I think of the old guy, Walter, with Jeff Dunham, who is the ventriloquist. Walter, I've got joy. And you've been in church with some folks like that that look like they were baptized in pickle juice and been sucking on a persimmon, and they've got the joy of the Lord. Now, how many of you know, if you've been made righteous, peace with God and you begin to experience the overwhelming sense of prosperity, quietness, rest, a poise, a grace about you that even in the middle of a crisis that you can be at peace. You've, you, you've put on a whole armor of God that literally has equipped a pair of shoes that says having your feet shod with the gospel of peace, which means when you're standing in the battle, you're standing in a place of peace that's already been won. You've become a peacemaker because the, the beatitude says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. Sometimes making peace means you have to do the hard thing and sit down and confront somebody speaking the truth in love and just honestly say, I can't live like this. We won't have this in our house. This is not God's best. I want what 
makes for peace. It says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Follow after peace, the Bible says. Hebrews 12, 14, it says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Another translation says, Make every effort to be at peace. Sometimes it is work to have peace. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. You have to be a peacemaker. <laughs> what was it? Uh, somebody said one time, said they, they, they had uh, an axe in 238. That's what one, one person talked about, the protection of God. And they had a big bat. And they said, this is my peacemaker right here. I don't know that that's exactly the idea that the word's talking about. Sometimes you have to take up and battle the enemy in order to restore peace to your life. Sometimes it means you have to cut him off because the Bible calls him in the book of Revelation both the deceiver of the nations and the accuser of the brethren. And he will draw you in and he will get you to do something. And then once he's gotten you, he will accuse you with a legalistic mindset before God and said, yes, if you really were a believer, if you really did have the same power in you that conquered the grave, you wouldn't be struggling with that. And that's what the enemy says to you. And that's where you have to learn to just shut him down. Shut him up. Everybody say, shut the door. Keep out the devil. The Caribbean islands sing it this way. Shut the door. Keep out the devil. Shut the door. Keep the devil in the night. Shut the door. Keep out the devil. Light the candle. Everything is all right. I said, light the candle. Everything is all. Come on now. Shut the door. Keep out the devil. Shut the door. Keep the devil in the night. Shut the door. Keep out the devil. Light the candle. Everything is all right. I said light the candle. Everything is all right. Everybody say shut the door. <laughs> Lastly, there is a peace that guards. Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Here it comes. Verse 7. And the peace of God. It can't be explained. Which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Man, I'd love to dig into this, but I just want to tell you. I'm so excited. Pastor Alex is going to be preaching a five-week expositional series on the book of Philippians coming up in July. And so I'm going I'm to save this for him because he's going to get up there and knock the ball out of the park and talk about what God can do in your life, literally in, in, in the peace of God. He'll be explaining this. But I just want you to know very simply, it, it's, we're supposed to choose not to be anxious. I can make that decision. God, I'm looking for your peace. Where is your peace in this? Door number one, door number two, which decision do I make here? Do I ask her to marry me? Do I take this job? Do I pack up and leave and head to Seattle? God, what is your decision? What is your will? How can I test and discern by these guiding lights the will of the Lord for my life? I believe that we should learn to be thankful in everything. And just find a reason every day. The Bible says in Psalm 92, it's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praise to our God. If you woke up this morning, you have a reason to be thankful. Come on, somebody. Give him some praise. Take it to the Lord. Take it to the Lord. He is our friend. Oh, what 
needless pain we bear. Oh, what peace we often forfeit when we fail to take our care to the Lord. What a friend we have in Jesus. I want to ask you one last question. I'm finished this morning. Where are you in this last scripture? Isaiah 57, verses 18 through 21. Read with me. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace says my God, for the wicked. Hear this this morning. Where are you in that scripture? Do you have peace of God? You can't have the peace of God until you've experienced peace with God. Righteousness. A right standing relationship. Out of that flows irene, prosperity, oneness, quietness, rest, to be set at one again. And then out of that flows overwhelming joy because that's the real indication right there of a life that has been transformed and that's been filled up with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Do I have joy in the middle of a struggle? Do I have joy in the middle of a trial that nobody else understands? Do I have peace that carries me like a river? Do I have a flow in the presence of God that when all hell is breaking loose, I know that God's got this thing. Storm is tearing at the boat, but I know Jesus is going to reveal himself and he's going to say, peace be still. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to ask you the question this morning. Do you know Jesus? Eyes closed, heads bowed. See this word, N-O, no, no Jesus, no peace. If you, have, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have peace. But if you know Jesus, K-N-O-W, then you can fully know, K-N-O-W, peace. It's one of two places you are this morning. Either you don't have him and you don't have the peace that comes with him, or you do have him and you have a life that is filled with Irene where he can rule and umpire and govern and guard and guide. That's what it's about this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to ask you one question. Have you taken that step in your life to recognize and say, you know what, I don't want to be in the line there. It's where it says, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Because the wicked are enemies of God. I don't want, I don't want my picture in a mugshot in the post office of heaven. I want my picture in the family album and God says I'm his son. You know what? Jesus has already done everything that he's going to do. He came and he hung suspended between heaven and earth and he stretched out his arms and he said, it is finished. It's paid for. He has already paid the full price. God poured out his wrath upon Jesus for the sins of the whole world. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He hung up there in your place. What you deserved, he took. He paid a debt he didn't owe. You owe a debt. You don't have the ability to pay. You think you can pay it? Just wait. Stand before God on judgment day, and you've, you've got to empty your pockets to say, this is everything that I owe, and I'm going to tell you, you're going to come up way short. 
But you know what? You don't rely on your ability to buy your way out, but you take the gift that comes with Jesus Christ. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a gift God is reaching out his hand to hand you this morning. And all you have to do, the Bible says, is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Jesus, save me. That's the word of the Lord. How do you do that? You, you turn your life to him. You stop the direction you're going and you, do, you turn around. That's what repent means. You turn. This is a place in the road of your life today where it is, it is legal, it is righteous to actually make a U-turn in this place. You repent. You turn around and you face the Lord and you quit walking away from him and you say, Jesus, I'm a mess. Fix me. Save me. And guess what? He's already rushing to your side to do it right now. Some people in this room are sensing the urging of the presence of the Lord. Every head still bowed, every eye closed. I'd just like you to take a second. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. If you want to be included in this prayer, would you just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, I'm, I'm crossing that line. Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Anybody in this room? Yes, I see that hand. Thank you so much. And there's another. Yes. Just worshiping in his presence. Yes. I see another one over here. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. It's about four in the room. Anyone else? I want to give you plenty of time. All right, talking to believers now. Been walking with the Lord for a number of years. You know the peace with God, but you've let, there's been some stuff that's come in. There's been some, some disturbance of the peace in your life. The peace of God has just been stolen from you. It's, you've been robbed. The enemy's distracted. Got a lot of mess going on. And you know what? You just need to just be refilled today with the Spirit of God. Just say, fill me up. Anybody in the room just want to slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. I need to make some good decisions. I need the Spirit of God to give me peace and give me joy. I'm just raising my hand right now, Lord. I just need you. I need a fresh outpouring of you in my life. Every head's still bowed. We're praying together. Father, thank you for these men and women who raised their hands Lord, in the beginning of this time, who've said they're crossing the line of faith. Jesus, thank you that you do the work that no man can do. Lord God, you are drawing, you're calling your sheep by name. Thank you for these men and women who've said, Jesus, come into my heart, save me. I turn to you. I turn from my past. I put my trust in you. I believe in you. Save me, Lord, and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, right now that you do that work in their hearts and you give them an assurance of salvation. Lord, for my brothers and sisters, Thank you, Lord, for those who've just become a part of the family of God. Lord, we rejoice. We give you praise. Lord, for my brothers and sisters that have been walking with you, and Lord, they've just they've had some disturbance of the peace in their lives. Thank you, Lord, that, that you, you come and you bring unity and you bring peace and you, you bring things to rest. Just fill us all with your Holy Spirit. Help our families, oh God. There are people under the sound of my voice right now that are struggling because crises that have hit this week. Lord, just, just bring comfort to families that are grieving, Lord, to, to people, Lord, that are just hurting so, Lord, because of an, an accident, Lord, because of a decision. Lord, others in the room just on the brink of hopelessness because of a marriage. Lord, you know the problems we face. You know the trouble that we have. Be peace, Lord. Be our peace in the middle of all this mess. Touch us, oh God, and fill us up with your presence, we pray. And lead us out of it in Jesus' name. And everybody said...